What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. Multiple civil rights and disability groups are challenging Governor Newsom's care courts measure, which would force some folks with mental health and substance abuse issues into facilities for air quotes treatment. We are joined this morning by Sarah Gregory, the senior attorney at Disability Rights California. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. For my listeners who may not know, even though we covered it quite a bit on this show, what is so-called care courts? Sure. Um, Care court is a uh, brand new system of court-ordered mental health treatment and services targeting people with um, serious mental illness and in particular people with a diagnosis of schizophrenia um, and also focusing on people who are unhoused. Um, It was announced by Governor Newsom in the spring pushed through the legislature over the summer and signed into law in September. And can you talk about the resistance that happened during the process that the bill was moving through the ledge? Yeah, and if it's all right, I'll I'll take a a quick moment to say who Disability Rights is. Um, We are the Disability Rights California. It's the agency designated under federal law to protect um, and advocate for the rights of Californians with disabilities. It's one of the largest disability rights organizations in the the nation. Um, And we really fight for healthy, thriving communities where um, the autonomy and dignity of people with disabilities are respected. Um, And DRC has opposed the governor's uh, new care court system along with an alliance of over 40 civil rights and disability rights organizations. community organizers, and countless individuals who will be impacted. Um, And we've opposed every step of the way from announcement through the legislative process and now through legal action. A few follow-up questions. Why why is this problematic? I mean, I know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I I was inside baseball knowing who you all are, too. Why, why, Why is this problematic? Well, it's problematic for a number of reasons. Um, it'll Walk cause, uh, yeah. So I know you've had um, uh, guests on your show, um, people with lived experience, people with serious mental illness, who have talked about the harm of involuntary treatment, um, right? And so um, there's there's like the the harm that people are going to experience by being subjected to a a coercive system. We know a lot of um, our clients and communities who have um, mental health disabilities have been, you know, experienced trauma, especially childhood trauma. Um, And um, as part of that, a lot of folks have had uh, really negative experiences with government systems. You know, maybe it's police, maybe it's a family member being arrested or um, child protective services becoming involved, something like that, a hospital. Um, when people are re-exposed to coercive government systems as adults, that those, those traumas can be re, um, re, you know, triggered and, and re-traumatized. Um, so that's like a, the personal impact, you know, uh, harm to the humanity. Um, there's also, you know, pro- constitutional problems, which is what we've raised in our lawsuit. Um, and there's also huge racial um, inequities that come along with this bill. 
We're going to bring Nubian Scott into the conversation, staff attorney in the Civil Rights Practice Group at Disability Rights California. Good morning, Nubian. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being with us. I want to continue on this thread in terms of the impact of the carceral state on folks living with mental health issues, substance abuse issues, et cetera. Um, can you talk, paint a picture for my listeners about what kinds of so-called treatment uh, folks with these issues receive when they are in forced lockdown facilities, including jails and prisons, which is where this country sends folks that are struggling with these issues? For sure. I, I did want to back up just a little bit to kind of pre- sure. paint the framework that, you know, California is, the we always hear, the third largest economy in the world, yet we hold 25% of the country's unhoused. I think we, you know, most of us recognize that that's un- unacceptable, but one of the things that we try to remind people of is that being unhoused is itself disabling. People absolutely develop disabilities because of the experience of being unhoused, because of the experience of being um, in the carceral system, and I think basically care court creates a new court system that coerces people into services that don't actually exist services that have already been shown to not be culturally competent to be trauma informed and that expose people to further trauma i previously worked as a court appointed attorney in civil proceedings representing people that live with mental health issues substance use disorders and domestic violence and from that experience i can tell you that being forced into the legal system, whether it be civil or criminal, is scary for anyone, but it's terrifying for people that have already felt abandoned, neglected, or traumatized in the system that we already have. Right, and then the, the second part uh, uh, is, is my question about specifically, like I'm thinking about Santa Rita Jail, for example, mm-hmm. where uh, law enforcement in, in, uh, in Alameda County, where law enforcement regularly I don't have a better word for it, dumps folks that are unhoused mm-hmm. um, really to just get them out of visible sight often. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, Disability Rights was involved in an investigation of the Santa Rita Jail and other um, carceral institutions. And what has been shown repeatedly is that black folks, you know, trans folks, people with disabilities are um, perpetually subjected to terrible treatment, are not given access to the mental health treatment, are not given access to accessible facilities or other types of accommodations that they need. And we know that in California, 32% of people experiencing homelessness are black, even though we only represent 6.5% of Californians. And of course, you know, two times the number of indigenous and native Californians are experiencing homelessness than are represented. Um, Homelessness is increasing rapidly amongst the Latinx community. And so I I totally agree. I think what we're seeing is that as part of the care court rollout, folks are being targeted. People that are already known to law enforcement or to behavioral health agencies are being targeted. And I think folks are preparing to put them into the care court system. And I think that could for sure lead to further incarceration. Libyan Scott, one more question for you, and then I'm going to bring Sarah Gregory back into the conversation. So when it passed, one of the first thoughts I had and, and said to Deputy Director of APTP, uh, James Birch, was, well, what would it look like for <clears throat> us to form an alliance of folks that could do participatory defense inside of care courts? Can you talk about why that actually can't be a possibility the way the the bill is written uh that that folks are locked out of the actual proceedings is my understanding 
Mm-hmm. So there's a component of the bill that allows for a peer or basically someone that also has a mental health disability and maybe has gone through the system or just anyone you as the care court participant identify. There's an opportunity for that person to participate and help advocate for you. But at the end of the day, the way that the law is written is that the judge or the court has the ultimate say over what happens. And of course, there are all these practitioners that are going to be brought in. And we know that people don't actually have have helpful access to practitioners, you know, if they happen to be trauma-informed, if they happen to be culturally aware and you get lucky in that system, you still are going to have someone that's probably seeing you for a couple of hours and making a determination that's going to wrap you into the system. And so we just haven't seen historically that peers are actually given um, that same level of advocacy or that same level of um, authority, you know, that a, a practitioner is given. And I think that often puts a major tilt on the system. And so it ends up being that folks that actually don't have lived experience, that don't know what people are actually facing, are given the most power in the system. Thank you for that. Sarah Gregory, talk to us about the Supreme Court challenge. What are you all saying and where is it at in the legal process? Yeah, Um, sure. So last week, Disability Rights and its co-counsel, the Western Center on Law and Poverty and the um, Public Interest Law Project, filed a petition for writ of mandate with the California Supreme Court on behalf of thousands of Californians who will be impacted by care court. Um, In the petition, we argue that on the face of the bill, the CARE Act strips people of basic civil liberties, including the right to due process, equal protection, and the right to make decisions about one's own life and health care and housing, uh, really important personal um, decision-making, right? Um, We are very concerned that the act trades in people's fundamental rights in favor of an ineffective and um, it can be a short-term system of government coerced treatment um, that ultimately fails to provide the housing and services that we all know is what is actually needed here. Um, And it it does so um, on the basis of really vague and ambiguous criteria. Uh, and that really flies in the face of our due process guarantees. And that's one of the uh, major claims in our lawsuit. Um, so DRC is asking the, the California Supreme Court to strike down the law in its entirety. And we'll continue to fight for meaningful and funded permanent housing and voluntary services. Are you going to do that in the state legislature as well, or is it? just an organizing strategy, I mean, ongoing organizing strategy for folks that have been fighting for housing as a human right. Uh, Where's that work going to happen? And in part, I'm asking because I know some of my listeners are going to want to plug in. Yeah. Um, You know, that work is happening at every level of state and local government, federal government even, um, and in our communities. uh, We, we, um, you know, we've been doing this work for 40 years. Um, it's, uh, we, we really try hard to um, work alongside communities and organizers um, and really ally, you know, with folks who are doing this work in the political arena, in the um, organizing arena. Um, we work with clients to help, you know, get connected on an individual basis. Um, so it's hard to say, um, you know, if you're interested in getting involved, um, connect with us. It, you know, we're doing this across the state at every level. 
something that uh, this is a question for both of you. Something that came to my mind uh, when Care Courts popped uh, onto the scene was it, it was right in the middle of sort of the explosion um, in California, but also across the country of um, organizers and activists and activists being successful in pushing the narrative and sometimes actually succeeding in removing law enforcement um, as the responder to mental health crisis. And this felt to me, you know, I'm a conspiracy realist. I stole that from Dr. Melina Abdullah. Uh, it felt to me that this was a strategy that we've seen by the state for quite some time when the people um, are taking the issue into their own hands and being successful in serving the people's needs, the state co-ops the work as a way to interrupt it. Um, Sir, I'll start with you. Your thoughts, and then Nubian, please jo uh, uh, join the, the conversation again. Yeah, Kat, that's a really interesting point, and I've, I've actually been thinking a lot about this because we, you know, part of our work at DRC is um, we advocate for the elimination of police uh, involvement in any type of mental health uh, response. We want to see trained mental health clinicians and peers responding to mental health crisis in the community. Um, we want to see, you know, alternatives to 911. That's something we've been fighting really hard for. Um, we do recognize that occasionally police will be the first on the scene. And in, and in those situations, um, we, we advocate for diversion measures and we want um, police to have alternatives to arrest and jail. Um, and so I could see somebody saying like, well, this is that. This is an alternative for uh, police to connect someone to a civil system. Um, but you're right. It's still a court system. It's still coercive. It still catches somebody up into a court system where they might have five appearances within the first few months. That's five opportunities to mess up and have a court order something against you and um, have, um, you know, get on the track towards conservatorship. And so it's not, it's not the answer. Um, what we need is to have um, community-based, community-run um, culturally responsive trauma-informed services that are brought to people, met, meet them where they're at, do harm reduction, um, and do meaningful outreach and engagement work through um, through those uh, community-run, community-based, community-driven services. Nubi, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'll add that I, I definitely second what Sarah said and, and see the point in what you um, originally asked. I guess I would just also emphasize that I think um, in addition to the points that you all are raising, there's always this, you know, overarching stigma that's been heavy on folks with mental health disabilities for decades now, you know, ever since we were shifted to being to not just locking folks up into facilities, you know, I think the stigma always pops its ugly head up every couple of decades. Um, and I think all you have to do is listen to some of the statements that were being made on the state assembly floor when the bill was being passed. It's clear that the root of the reason for the law, or one root, is the stigma and otherizing of people with mental health disabilities. And I think, of course, there's also the political focus on making it seem like you've, you know, quote unquote, done something about the homelessness crisis in the state yeah. by passing yep. this thing when that wouldn't put a dent in homelessness, even if it did work perfectly. Yeah. Thank you for that. And uh, I've got, oh, go ahead, Sarah, please. I just, I just wanted to add one more point, if I may, which is 
um, you know, this law is really different from what California has historically done um, because it targets people based on a particular diagnosis of schizophrenia. California has never done that before. It, we have other mental health statutes, you know, like 5150, um, which can lead a person to be um, locked up in an institution. Those are all based on severity of the mental illness that the person is currently, you know, having symptoms that are making them, you know, a danger to themselves or others. You could, that could be any mental illness. It doesn't have to be a specific diagnosis. It's, it, the question is how bad um, is it, um, you know, how severe is it in the moment? This law is a radical break from that, and it focuses on schizophrenia as a diagnosis. Um, that is extremely concerning because, as we know, and as the legislature knew when they were passing this act, a, um, a schizophrenia diagnosis can be really unreliable, and it also comes with huge racial disparities. Um, the legislature itself considered research, research showing that African Americans are three to five times more likely to be diagnosed with schizophrenia than whites. And when you combine that with the racial disparities that we see in the unhoused population, this new approach, this care court, is going to disproportionately impact black and brown Californians who are already over-policed and, and already channeled into these coercive services. System. So um, it's going back to the disru disruption point. It's really concerning um, that they focused on schizophrenia. All right. Uh, I well, one one last thing, Nubian. I, the the one of the traits of our governor is that once he decides he's walking a certain path, that's it. Right. Uh, he he has a tendency to really dig his heels in, and when uh, he was told that there would probably be legal challenges to his bill, he said, "Quote, that's exhausting. I think their point of view has been well advanced for half a century in the state of California. It's what you see on the streets and the sidewalks, and I'd just like you to respond." to that in about 60 seconds <laughs> um i think what we see on the streets and the sidewalks is a disinvestment in Californians that need it the most. Um, so, of course, on the top of the fact that we should want to solve homelessness based on sheer human dignity, we definitely don't want to be actively disabling people through further traumatic experiences. And the part that many people seem to be missing is that nine out of 10, the folks that are going to be called into care court will already have been traumatized by their life experiences. And instead of us investing more into the housing and services that would be the first step at healing that trauma, our government, and by extension the governor, has decided to tack more trauma onto that by dragging people into court, coercing them into this new pipeline that guarantees no housing or appropriate services. Thank you both so, so much for your work and for coming on the show this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Kat. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.